Much joy and courage is yours as we gather weekly and daily with every breath in the name of the one true God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, who loves you dearly. Amen? Amen. What an odd and curious thing for Jesus to say, something that defies space and time and reality in some minds, that before Abraham, a historical figure, existed, before he was, I am. Jesus' words for your heart today. This weekend, with Christians around the world, we celebrate the mystery of the Trinity. We claim the Lord God, the infinite, the almighty, the father of all, the Lord of all creation as he reveals himself to us as one God, yet in three persons. Something hard for our mind to grasp and put around. But this doctrine, this teaching of the Trinity, of the Christian faith, while it's difficult to grasp or explain, it's essential for us to believe that God is who He says He is. And we need to believe that in order to be saved. That's why historical Christianity, which is what we are as Lutheran Christians, we confess three ecumenical creeds. There's the well-known Apostles' Creed, right? Written about 100 A.D., very close to the time of the disciples. We believe the followers of the disciples, not the disciples themselves, wrote the Apostles' Creed. Then we have the Nicene Creed, which we know was written in 325 A.D. And then today we'll say that fuller version of the Christian faith in the words of the Athanasian Creed, which was written much later in 925 A.D. And what all the creeds do, though, is they synthesize the Christian faith in a clear way uh, to express the teachings of God's Word. But more than that, they're also set up to guard us from saying or believing or misunderstanding God through some kind of false teaching or heresy. And often they are in response to heresies that existed in the times that they were written. One of my favorite heresies, because I like the phrase, is modal monarchianism. Get an A-plus if you know what that means. Think of it this way. Modal monarchianism was the view that God is actually one entity who comes out on the stage of creation in history as an individual person. So, back at the you know, beginning of time, God comes out as God the Father Creator. I'll put the world together, do my job. Now my part's over. Go hide behind the stage. Then come back out as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, dying on the cross for the salvation of the world. When that role is over, that same entity then hides behind the curtain, then comes back out on stage at Pentecost and says, now I'm the Holy Spirit, I'm with you always. That's wrong. <laughs> that, that takes away from what we understand Scripture to teach us about there is one God and three persons, and our mind will never gel that together, and we're okay with that. And if you'd like to know more, if you're the kind that wants to go a little deeper, as you leave today, you'll see on the little table credenza, just a little handout that helps us appreciate that Jesus is God, that according to Scripture, according to his own confession to what others said about him and he never denied, he accepts that he is God in the flesh. He teaches that, he believes that, and, and that's really the challenge for all of Christianity because it, it offends the world to say that some human who walked this earth could ever be risen from the grave, have the authority to forgive sins. But in the gospel, Jesus is giving us a glimpse of two persons of the, the Trinity uh, when he has this exchange uh, with the Pharisees. So the setting is, once again, Jesus is teaching in the temple area, and the Pharisees show up, they don't like Jesus, and they're going to challenge him. They're going to put him to the test. They're really hoping 
to trip him up in such a way that they have evidence to you know, get rid of this guy because he threatens their power. And they claimed in their conversation with Jesus to be, as they often do, children of Abraham. You know, people of prestige and power and rights and inheritance. But Jesus says, listen, fellas, you're really the children of your father, the devil. I mean, he says that, puts it right out there. You're the children of the devil because of how you live and teach about God. And so for those reasons in the conversation, they thought that Jesus was this foreigner who should be hated because he's out of his mind. In fact, that's why they said, addressing Jesus, aren't we right in calling you a Samaritan who is demon-possessed? I mean, they're just laying it out there. I mean, this is a smackdown conversation with eternal consequences on what's being said. And in response to this, Jesus, in his calm, good rabbi demeanor, he says that the Father and I are one. So he's raising the level of equality. Him and the Father are one. And he goes even further in claiming equality with God by that phrase, before Abraham was, I am. And so his enemies, they understood what he was saying, and they hated him for it. They understood exactly what he was claiming when he said, before Abraham was, I am. Because God used that name, Yahweh, which is translated I am, when he spoke from the burning bush to Moses. They clearly understand Jesus is accepting the title and claim and authenticity to be God himself in the flesh. And that's why they picked up stones to stone him. Imagine if Pastor Jim and I, every time we heard you guys say something wrong on a confirmation question, picked up stones to stone you. But this was serious. This was something that made them shudder because they felt this, this is impossible for God to walk in the flesh in this way and to make this claim from this man Jesus, this backwoods Nazareth Galilean who we think could even be a Samaritan foreigner who never gets it right. They hated him for this. Because to the Jews, there's no greater blasphemy, no greater insult than to make the claim to be God. And so they picked up stones to throw at Jesus to stop him. They knew that this message, this foreigner, this Jesus, must be stopped. Otherwise, it's going to create problems for them. The claim that Jesus makes, and we make as well, that Jesus is the true God and the only way to heaven is more serious and perhaps more offensive to our culture than anything else. The claim that Jesus is God. That he is more than a man, but that he is also divine. He is more than flesh and blood. He is heaven-sent and heaven-bound and claims authorship over all creation. That he is the one and only way to have eternal life and salvation. And to confess that Jesus is Lord and God is to confess also that he is the creator of all things. And as you know, if you're the creator of all things, then you can claim your creation. You have claim and rights over your creation. Jesus has claim over us, over our bodies, over our values, over our decisions. Amen? Amen. That's a good thing. We want God to have claim over our lives as he does through the waters of baptism, that his words should be our words, that his views are our views, that his values seep and are a part of who we are, even though we are fallen, broken sinners, we are healed by a righteous God who loves us dearly and should have claim over our life. He is the one we must trust and follow. 
And yet you could say, Pastor, I've never seen the word Trinity in the Bible. And you're right. No matter how hard you search, you'll never find the word or phrase Trinity spelled out in the pages of Scripture. You will, however, find evidence of the reality and the doctrine, the teaching of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as one God throughout the whole Bible. I mean, all three were there as a part of creation in Genesis. And perhaps the most well-known showing up of the Trinity in three persons is at Jesus' baptism. Obviously, Jesus was there being baptized by John. Then we hear the voice of the Father saying, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And then we see the Holy Spirit show up in the form of a dove. All three people showing up to do their work. And on this day, when we celebrate Father's Day, we are thankful and give God praise for that call and design on fathers to show up, to be the with us presence of God's wisdom and love. Because that's what God calls us to do, dads. And dads aren't just the biological fathers. Many of you have father figure roles to people in your life, people in your neighborhood. You might be a 72-year-old father figure to someone who's 62 at work. But you are called to be the wisdom and the comfort and the discernment of who God is in all aspects of your life, fathers. And we thank God that you do that, that you just simply show up with that wisdom, with that comfort, with that courage to stand up not only for your family, but to be examples to your sons and daughters, many of them who they may be, and not always under the age of 18, that you are an example of Christian faith and joy and knowing what it's like to walk with the Good Shepherd. Thank you, fathers, for being that way. Because the world needs that in the community, in the fabric of society. People of faith, moms and dads, grandmas and grandfathers, good neighbors of good conscience who are led by the Trinity. And as hard as we might try through earthly examples to explain the Trinity through the use of an apple or the three-leaf clover uh, to explain the triune God, they're just a poor reflection of who God is. You'll never find earthly words to explain with infinite definitions uh, or finite definitions of an infinite God. It'll never come to be a peaceful definition, this one God in three persons. And we're okay with that. You know, if, if we're going to let Jesus walk on water, if we're going to believe in the miracles of six days of creation, if we're going to believe Jesus rose from the grave, but we can't explain that because that's what a miracle is. God defying the laws of physics, the laws of nature, and stepping in to do what he needs to accomplish, then we don't need to have to explain God and put him in a box that finite humans can explain to each other. But we do take him at his word, and we do repeat and confess what he's once told us. If God says he's holy... We don't have to understand how he is holy or why he is holy, but we confess in faith that he is holy and he calls us to be holy too. And he goes the step further to make us holy through the blood of his son. Jesus was asked essentially many times over, who do you think you are? He knew exactly who he was. And so do we. That's why we worship him. By the power of the Holy Spirit who brings us and keeps us in that one true faith, we know we know what was once said, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is our Savior, our Good Shepherd, the one who laid down his life for our forgiveness and eternal salvation. And we say, praise God, hallelujah, amen? amen. This is the with us God who took on flesh and blood, who walked this earth not to just subdue us through victories of military might, 
but to give us a sacrifice that restored us to our Heavenly Father and to each other. This is the God who would go to that extreme so that we could be eternally saved. So as we celebrate the Trinity, we do not attempt to define or explain God and put Him in a box. Rather, we just confess and enjoy and appreciate who He says He is. As one God, three persons. Enough said. He is the God who saves. And more importantly, He is the God who delights in you. He loves you. He adores you. He created you. He sustains you. He redeems you. That's how personal this God thinks of you. Even to the point and the cost of offering up His own Son on the cross of Calvary so that He could have us forever and love us forever in His presence. And while we do not fully understand that great mystery, we joyfully thank and praise, serve and trust in Him. Enough said. Amen? Amen. To God be the glory and God's joy is with you always. Amen. I invite you to turn to your bulletin on page 8, and we're going to walk through the Athanasian Creed. Today we are marveling at the grace